Hello and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders in the field of education from across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Matt Weber, and today as part of the ongoing Harvard Education Press podcast series, we're here with the author of School-Based Instructional Rounds, Improving Teaching and Learning Across Classrooms. He's a lecturer on education here at the Harvard Graduate School of Education. His name is Lee Title. Welcome to the EdCast. Thank you, Matt. Happy to be here. Lee, now, this isn't your first go-round with the uh, phrase instructional rounds in a book title. Take us back to 2009. Many of our listeners may not necessarily even know what instructional rounds is as a concept. Quick fill us in in one or two minutes. Sure. So instructional rounds, it loosely based on the idea of medical rounds. Everyone knows medical rounds. Doctors go look, walk around, observe patients, learn from that. Um, what we, my colleagues and I, uh, that would be Richard Elmore, Liz City, Sarah Fireman, we wrote the, the, the 2009 book together, developed a practice that uh, takes that into classrooms and into schools with the idea that you've got uh, administrators and teachers observing in classrooms, but not so much for the usual thing, which is like supervisory improvement, supervisory improvement, but it's really for what can we learn about what kind of patterns are going on in the different classrooms that we see and how, do we, how can we work to improve them? I mean, so that's the really short version of, of, uh, of, what, of what instructional rounds practice You want to know more? Go buy the 2009 <laughs> book. I'm sure Lee would appreciate that. So, so that concept at that time, and, and that's still being used across the country, is different schools and individuals um, will go and visit other schools and interact uh, using the sort of medical rounds model. And now, now in 2013, School-based instructional rounds is, is instead of looking among schools, it's looking within schools. Right. So most of the, the, the way the 2009 book was written, it was really designed for people to do what we think of as cross-school developing networks. Sometimes they'd be within districts. There are some examples like the Connecticut Superintendents Network going on for all, over 10 years that where superintendents from different districts are actually observing in each other, same idea. It's about learning, making connections between strategically to what goes on in classrooms. The one of the one of the things that I found really kind of cool was that an idea that we did not invent um, developed among the folks that were doing the work. Um, and so there's a story in the school-based rounds book about uh, about a particular principal in a Connecticut district where uh, where the the superintendents came, the superintendents left. And she said, that was like a good idea, but like, what would it be like if we did this internally? Um, and, and what if we, instead of looking you know, so much at teachers, because that's how she experienced it, what if we looked together at students and had teachers involved in it? And she and dozens of other people like her around the country um, developed, uh, developed a school-based rounds practice. And I was, I, like, I was honored just to kind of catch up to them and to learn from them. Um, so this is the, all the work that's, uh, that was set up in this book was basically trying to find different kinds of examples of school-based rounds that had evolved and learn enough about them to try to connect them and learn something that might be useful for rounds practice for others. So the book is based on five case studies where you look at all these different examples, uh, five different models. Um, can you just give us briefly a couple of those different models of what we can expect when it comes to school-based instructional rounds and how they do differ? Sure. So, so the example that I started with, which was the um, the the principal in uh, in a school in Connecticut, um, at Killingly Middle School, the model that they use is um, they they set it up so that that say half of the third grade teachers on a given day will agree ahead of time on what they're stuck on, what their problem of practice is. 
Um, that's part of our overall approach is that you, you don't just go into classrooms. You're looking for particular things that people have already said. You know, we're, we're trying to improve in this, and we want to get better, and we're stuck here. Let's, let's do some inquiry, get some data uh, in classrooms about it. So, um, so, what, so half of the third grade teachers might go in on one day, and then uh, another day, maybe the next week, the other half of the third grade teachers visit the, the original half, and the principal and some of the specialists will go along on both visits. And then at the end of those, what they're doing is they're collecting data. Of, we work very hard on getting descriptive, non-judgmental data um, that describes the patterns of what we're seeing in classrooms. And then from that, they would then agree on what did they learn, what did they notice across the two visits. Um, and the big difference is at the end of the day, they're making decisions about what do we want to do next. And it's not like some other people who are uh, guests for the school for just a moment um, are, are, are doing that determination. And they're essentially saying, what, how do we hold ourselves accountable for the kind of learning that we want to have in our classroom? So, so that's one model. Um, another model is a model where um, uh, we're in a high school in, um, in Akron, Ohio. The um, different model, high school, the math teachers all visit the science teachers and vice versa. Different structure, high schools are different kind of animals than elementary schools. Um, and they, um, they'll go in, they'll observe, they'll collect non-judgmental data. Ahead of time, they will identify a problem of practice. They'll talk to each other afterward about what their learnings, um, their learnings were. And it's played out differently in a lot of different settings. The fun part for me in, in researching the book was that there's just lots of really interesting and inventive array of practices that people have, have done springing off of the, uh, you know, the core idea about identifying a problem to practice, gathering data, um, uh, uh, identifying what some next steps are, and then implementing them. Now, you talk a little bit about non-judgmental data in, in one of your articles for the Harvard Education Letter. You talk about some possible pitfalls of this, this school-based instructional round. And it's one thing for an outsider to come in to make some opinions and then to leave. It's another thing for an insider, a group within the school, to say, here's what we need to be changing while still trying to be nice and knowing you have to work with that person the next day. Talk a little bit more about that. So one of the biggest things that we do in either practice, whether it's a networks practice, a network-based practice, or a school-based practice, is work real hard on moving um, people to what we call non-judgmental data. It's descriptive data. Because what we find is that if you go into a classroom and you uh, don't help people change their mindset, they will sit and they'll, they'll be like ranks, oh, that was a good job the way the teacher did X or, you know, bad job. And either one, good or bad, isn't that helpful. What we push people to do is learn how to be descriptive about it, how to say not that the, the teacher did a good job of giving students the prompt for the next assignment, but rather than that, actually writing down what was the prompt and how the teacher gave it for the next assignment. And that allows us to have this core of real kind of factual, kind of like a video camera in the classroom data that then become the grist for the discussions as we look uh, further for patterns. And so, Matt, when you talk about the, you know, one of the concerns was that people who are totally within the same system might be in what we sometimes call the land of nice, mm -hmm. you know, where they're not going to say anything um, about uh, uh, that might be seen as, uh, as uncomfortable or judgmental. Um, and, and what we found is that once you teach people some skills and we practice with videos so they're starting by not watching uh, their, each other's classrooms as much as watching a video from someone else's classroom some, from outside the school, practice and get some norms about 
about understanding what non-judgmental feedback is and what specific feedback is and do it in a way that, um, that they realize that they learn more from that, then that kind of helps set aside some of the taboos. Now, let's say uh, parents, teachers are listening to this podcast right now and they're intrigued by school-based instructional rounds. Aside from buying the book, what's something they can do maybe tomorrow or the next week to contact their school, their district to kind of initiate this process of, of having these instructional rounds within the school take place? I think um, it's probably worth knowing what already improvement practices are in place. I mean, one of the things that we find is that, um, and this is true for any of the rounds practices, that the rounds practices are just what they are. They're practices, and um, they fit into larger improvement efforts. Um, we, we say very clearly in the first book, you know, in a nutshell, like, will rounds bring about improvement by itself? The answer is no. Um, it's part of a larger uh, a larger strategies around how do you bring about improvement? How does rounds shed light on what your improvement processes are? So conversations for teachers and, um, and parents, at least for me initially, is to, would be to say, find out, well, so what are we doing about, like what, what are kind of observations are taking place in classrooms that are helping us actually get better at classroom practice? One of the things that we find that we argue and, and we're very convinced of is that if you have an improvement strategy for how you're approaching whatever, whatever topic it is, whatever, whether it's a special population like English language learners, if you have a strategy, you should be able to see it in the classroom. If you don't see it in the classroom, either it's not working or you don't have a strategy. Mm -hmm. And so that's where you might, you, that's where an entry point might be. Buying the book is always a good thing, but it's, but it's really, it's really seeing this in the context of the kind of improvement that you're trying to do at your school and your district. The last question, so 2009 instructional rounds is sort of introduced to the world, 2013 school-based instructional rounds. I mean, as the sort of uh, creator of this, co-creator of this, it, where do you see this going in the next five or ten years? I mean, if there's already been so much growth and evolution in just oh, four years, 10, 20 years, where can instructional rounds grow? So, um, I mean, one of the things that we've, we've noticed is that um, – in part because we also, in addition to the 2009 general practice book, we also have been running um, institutes here at Harvard. So, um, so if people are interested, they they can come and learn the practice. Um, and then, in addition to that, um, what we what we have found is that that now is spread, and so people come from not just around the country but around the world. And so we've actually been helping support rounds in Stockholm. In uh, I did a visit to India, which was fun. Real interesting, interesting scale-up stuff, um, but but I mean the long-range thing. And Richard Elmore and I have had these conversations. Is that our private like dream is that that it is so that doing some form of rounds practice for teachers, whether it's cross-site or in school, is so much a part of the practice of professionalizing teaching that it would be as a it would be to not do it would be like having doctors not do rounds. You know, we, we all accept medical rounds as being a key part of, of, of learning and improving practice. Is my fantasy that, in, that at some point it becomes as expected as a teacher is professional to do that? Sure, I'll go with that. I like that dream. The name of the book is School-Based Instructional Rounds, Improving Teaching and Learning Across Classrooms. Our guest, Lee Title. You can get the book at hepg.org or books, bookstores across the country. Uh, thank you so much, Lee, for being on the EdCast. My pleasure. This has been the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'm your host, Matt Weber. Thank you kindly for listening. The Harvard Graduate School of Education, working at the nexus of practice, policy, and research.